as you find your seat, please turn me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4 as we continue our study together through this incredible epistle. As we begin, let me ask you a question. Whatever happened to Pluto? Well, I mean, what happened? I mean, uh, just a few weeks ago, I was informed by one of my children, I don't know where I've been, but all of a sudden, Pluto's no longer a planet. Did you know that? Well, apparently it's true. I went on space.com and and, uh, it was August 24th of this year that scientists got together and after what they call capping years of intense debate, years of intense debate, astronomers resolved to demote Pluto, no word on how Pluto's feeling, and is no longer a planet. One scientist exclaimed, Pluto is dead. And less than 5% of the world's astronomers have voted, but apparently Pluto is no more a planet. What happened? And really, what happened and what caused an intense debate? Well, what happened is there's some new empirical data that is coming our way as we've been able to go out and get pictures farther and farther into space and beam them back to us and evaluate that. And we're not going to wrestle with what happened to Pluto scientifically because I'm a little bit out of my element. But why the intense debate? You see, a worldview was changing. Our understanding that there are how many planets did we grow up knowing in our solar system? I mean, ever since 1930, and a gentleman by the name of Clyde Tombaugh, who discovered Pluto, ever since 1930, we live with the worldview, with the understanding, or the universe view, that there are nine planets in our solar system. And any time our worldview, our understanding changes, usually it causes heated debate. Wait a minute, now now you're telling me this information, I'm seeing my world a whole lot differently, and usually when we see our world different than the way we perceive our world, wow, heat and debate, because really what is happening is our worldview starts to change. In reality, events happen to us all the time that cause us to refocus our understanding of the world. It's usually a painful, tragic event that changes our understanding of the world. I mean, the pain and tragedy of a a child who suffers, the pain and tragedy of losing a spouse or a parent, the pain and tragedy of a war that is filled with a world that is filled with wars. It's usually those kind of events that change the understanding of our world. And one of those components that can really change the way we see our world and understand our world and even understand ourselves and even understand our God is suffering. What do we do with suffering? I mean, I'm talking about what do we do with that suffering that happens to a good person? I mean, what do we do with that suffering that happens to not just a good person, but a good Christian person? And we ask the question, why? What does suffering say about our God? What does it really say about him? What does suffering say about ourselves? And we must make sense of suffering. Listen, we must make sense of suffering because if we don't, someone might declare 
God is dead. Peter is helping the people in the early church and through the Holy Spirit, helping us to deal with suffering. And it's great news that there's hope for us today. And this is really, really important stuff. Listen, because proper Christian thinking, proper Christian thinking is the only way to make sense out of suffering. Proper Christian thinking is the only way, the only answer that makes sense out of suffering. Recently, I was uh, on the Little League field with uh, my assistant coach. And we were talking about tragedies in life. And this wonderful man who's an agnostic um, sees suffering differently. And his understanding of God because of suffering is is greatly shaped. And I would say it's marred. And I just declared, I said, you know... It's my faith in God and and by God's grace, the spirit illumining my mind is scripture that at least I can say I can put my arms a bit around suffering. There's always comes to a point where you say, God, this is even beyond where I can grasp. But there's some really good news for us, Christian. Listen, that the only way we can fully understand, only way we can put our arms around suffering is to have a proper, proper biblical worldview and understanding of suffering. So turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter 4, verses 12 through 16, and we're going to jump to 19. This is a theme that Peter has been uh, talking about over and over uh, through this incredible epistle. He's telling God's people that they have a victory in Christ that is secured And yet they're living their lives in the midst of having been told and experiencing inward victory and yet suffering greatly because of this victory in Christ. Some of them are losing their very lives. And because of this, a real part, a backbone almost of this entire letter is suffering. This will be the last stop we'll see it uh, on our study the way through. But let's listen to God's holy and errant word together. Picking up in verse 12, reading through 16 and then 19. God's holy and errant word. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you. Interestingly, if you look back up into chapter 4, he uses that same word, surprise, strange, as a Christian, I'm sorry, a non-Christian, a pagan world, looking at us and our living and they don't understand the way we worship and live, love God. And they think it's really strange. And now Peter's saying for us Christians, don't think it's really strange that you suffer. And this fiery ordeal, I mean, you can basically picture yourself in a furnace. Maybe in a refiner's fire. Beloved, he's talking to us Christians. Don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, we sang that through the Beatitudes, Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And here, unbelievably, Peter is quoting Isaiah 11. And if you look at Isaiah 11, uh, it tells us about the root of Jesse, who will eventually be, we see clearly, Jesus. 
And it tells us in Isaiah 11 that on him, the spirit of God and glory will rest. And throughout scripture, it's that, that cloud, that spirit that proclaims God's presence. And we know that we see it in the baptism of, the, of Jesus, that clearly the glory of God rests upon him. The spirit has come down on him like a dove. And here, unbelievably, Peter tells us that the spirit of God and the spirit of glory rest upon us too as Christians. And in 15, he makes a distinction here. He says, make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler, someone who's in someone else's business needlessly. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, one of three times that this word Christian is used, it's telling us it's a brand new term. We first see it in the book of Acts when they first called them Christians. And now there's a, there's a handle on these people who love Jesus. Now, and they're given the name of Christ, their follower. And if some of you are going to suffer, suffer just because you bear the name Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. Verse 19. Therefore, those who also, uh, those also who suffer according to the evil of God... I'm sorry, that was completely wrong. Let's try that again. Therefore, those who suffer according to the will of God, Lord Jesus, please forgive me and thank you for not striking me dead for saying the evil of God. The will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Let us pray. Father, just the last couple moments, it's just a painful reminder and so obvious how much we need you. That, Lord, uh, my thinking and, and my speaking, uh, God, has to be touched by the Holy Spirit. Because, God, we need to hear from you. We live in a world that's filled with suffering. And, God, if we don't get this, it's going gonna, it's gonna to shape the way we see our world. If we don't get this, it's going to shape the way we see you. And, God, if we don't understand this, we might come to a faulty conclusion that God is dead. But, God, we know that you're alive and active. We know that you are good. And so, Father, for your glory and to the end where your kingdom is advanced and to the end that your people understand who you are and understand how to put our arms the best that we are able to around suffering, would you come and would you speak? Would you open up our ears to hear the voice of God? Would you open up our minds to understand this difficult because it's emotionally charged topic? Father, would you soften our hearts because there's people here today that are hardened in their hearts because of suffering. And there's people here that are mad at you because of suffering. There's people here that are just really in pain. Soften our hearts so we can receive and empower our feet so we can walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Make sense of suffering, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Really, that discharge in front of us today is this making sense of suffering. And can we understand it? Can we put our arms around it? Can we do it in a way that does not deform who God is and who we are in God's sight? Let me ask you, have you lived long enough to ask why God? 
Have you lived long enough when it comes to suffering and said, why God? Maybe it's watching a child rebel. Maybe it's the futility of not even having a child. Maybe it's watching a spouse turn away. Uh, Maybe it's watching someone uh, uh, be consumed of of a disease like cancer. Maybe it's turning on your TV uh, set and, and hearing some horrible tragedy of officers being killed or kids being abducted or shootings in our classrooms. Have you ever asked the question, why? God, why, why are you allowing this to happen? Have you ever asked God specifically for your own life? Why God? What I love about scripture and the beauty of, of God's word is, is he tells us his story of redemption and he tells us characters like us, people who need God desperately and by faith and his grace have found him. And we get to the the Psalms and we realize that the questions that are on our lips and that we wrestle with in our minds and sometimes are even hard to us to articulate, they have asked and they have wrestled with. And they want to say, God, how long are you going to forget me forever? God, how come they're being blessed and they're evil and you just turned your back on us? How come, God? I love the reality that God is big enough to handle those questions. Isn't that good? I mean, isn't it great to know that we have a God who says, don't ask me about that. That's none of your beeswax. We're his children. And if, if, and if it comes down to a broken heart and all we can say is why, he can handle it. Sometimes we'll hear some silence, but he'll always speak in his word. Here's the reality, my brothers and sisters. Listen, suffering is actually, suffering is actually a part of the blessed life in Christ. Did you hear that? Suffering is actually a part of the blessed life in Christ. It's not something that we are to avoid. It's not something that if we have in our life is a sign that God is displeased with us. It's not something that's not part of the abundant life. If we want life and life in its fullest, if we want to be more like Christ, we must realize that suffering is a part of the blessed life in Christ. It is. Now, we don't live in a time and culture that's going to tell us that. It's going to say avoid pain at all costs. Avoid suffering at all costs. But unbelievably, we look at God's word and we realize that suffering is actually a part of the blessed life in Christ. That suffering is not strange at all. That's what Peter is telling us. Do not be surprised as if something strange is upon you. We must realize that suffering is a part of a fallen world. God has created a world in perfect beauty. He was good. And still is, by the way. But sin has so marred our own image of God. And sin has so polluted uh, this creation that it's all fallen. We live in a fallen world. That's, That's why bad stuff happens. Do we live in a dangerous world? I mean, it's dangerous because of sinners like us. I mean, we're the most dangerous people on the planet. We kill each other regularly, not just with guns and knives, but with our words. It's a fallen world. And not only is it a fallen world, but even the environment itself is fallen. I mean, there's, there's storms that kill us. All around us, it says, Scripture tells us through Paul, that all around us, creation itself groans and longs to be set free from the curse that came when man fell. 
You see, suffering is a part of the fallen world, and God's people have suffered greatly in the past, and they continue to suffer today. One of the beauties, again, of redemptive history and of God telling us his story through his people is we realize that God's people were not exempt of suffering. I mean, they wandered in deserts. They came up against giants. They suffered plagues. They suffered diseases. Over and over and over again, our heroes suffered, and God's people suffered, but he was with them. And we know this, that people are suffering today. And, you know, I, I got to confess, it's, it's kind of hard for me to really put my arms around this because what Peter is dealing with first and foremost is suffering for being a Christian, suffering for the name of Christ. How many of us have ever really suffered because we're Christians? I think maybe we live our lives underneath the radar screen so we don't even tell others that we're Christians. But I think of our brothers and sisters, and you need to do as well, that there are people in this world, even now, even this very hour, that are suffering even unto death. Isn't that unbelievable? But unto death because of the name of Christ. And we will suffer. It's not strange. We're going to suffer until Christ returns. But suffering can cause some strange views of God. Now listen, if we don't have this proper understanding, we don't have this proper worldview of what suffering is, what it might do is it may give us a strange view of God. And we might come to some really faulty conclusions. We can say things like this, that God is not real. I mean, look at all the pain in the world. And some can use this uh, uh, as an apologetic to, to defend the reality that God's not real. I mean, if God were real, he wouldn't allow this. And so a faulty decision, a faulty uh, conclusion of suffering is that God's not real. Or, here's another strange view that we could have of God, that he's not good. We could say, you know, if God were really good, he wouldn't let us suffer like this. I mean, if he really was good, he he would know better. Or we can come up with the strange view of God that God doesn't care. You know, that we're agnostic, that that God is God. He created the cosmos and Pluto was or wasn't a planet. And he kind of let it all go and he turned his back and he's doing God things now. And he's just too important with God things to really care about our lowly lives. And we call those maybe agnostics and say he's just not involved. That's, again, a strange view of God. It's not a biblical view. Or we say that God is not really in control. You know, I mean, okay, maybe we come to the conclusion that he's good and he's God and he cares, but there's still some really bad stuff. So maybe the God's up there wringing his hands in heaven saying, man, if I could just change the course of time, if I could just do it, we could get all rid of the suffering. It's not that view either. You know, there's peace on the throne. He's God. He's almighty. I mean, not for a moment can we say that God's not in control. We can't even say, I mean, there's, there's some theologians now that are talking about this open theism that basically says God knows all things presently and he knows all things in the past, but really because of our free will and, and not trying to lose that free will, that God is in time with us and that God is kind of waiting to see what you do and then, and then he's going to act and say, so you're, you're the first cause and God's not really in control of the future. You want to serve that God? I mean, there's no hope in the future. There's no, there's, no, there's no joy in knowing that God is eternal. He sees the beginning and the end. And he's going to cause all things to work together for his glory and our good. That's our God. And to say he's not in control is clearly sinful and wrong. 
Well, suffering can cause strange views of our God. But suffering can also cause some strange views of ourselves. Here's what we can say. I don't deserve this from God. I don't deserve this from God. I mean, I, I, I grew up in a Christian home, and, and I give more than a tithe, and, and, and I, I've gone to seminary, and, you know, I don't deserve this. My righteousness, my goodness of who I am somehow barters with God that he owes me more. Somehow, because of who I am, God looks at me and says, oh, I can't send him suffering. He's too good to touch. It's a wrong view of ourselves. Listen, listen, listen. God owes us nothing. We will never be, have God as our debtor, ever. <laughs> I mean, give away all your money. Walk all the ladies across the street that need help. Do everything you can. Your righteousness is still like mine. It's a filthy rag apart from Christ. God owes us nothing except maybe justice, except maybe wrath. Except maybe death. And yet he's merciful. And he's loving. I don't deserve this from God. Let me tell you, if you feel that way, and I do sometimes too, because we're just so sinful and egocentric, run. When you start feeling like God owes you, we've lost sight of who we are. We've lost sight of the fact that we don't love the Lord our God, all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength. We don't love our neighbors ourselves. And we've elevated ourselves in some kind of standing before God that he owes us. Well, suffering can cause strange views of ourselves and also can say, well, I, 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 don't, I deserve this from God. Some of us can have the, the reality, I deserve, you know what, I'm just pond scum. And, and you know, God's going to do this, he's going to do it. And I, I just deserve, heap it on God, I'm, I'm a loser. Heap it on God, I, there's nothing good here. Listen, you're, you're an image of God, and because of that, you have worth, and you're an image of God, and because of that, he delights in his image. And for those of us, by God's grace, who are redeemed, he sees us as beloved children. We're not going to live our lives with our head down saying, well, I deserve this suffering. Suffering and sin do go hand in hand. Look at it, verse 15, I and mean, he's talking, saying, listen, you're going to suffer, and some of you are going to suffer for the name. But then he says in verse 15, but don't be just suffering because of sin. Because suffering and sin do go hand in hand. Again, verse 15, make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. Basically, that's justified suffering. Sin always produces suffering. Sin always produces suffering. Sin always produces suffering. Why? Because it's outside of God's plan. It's rebelling against God. And we can never in the slightest way rebel against God and not suffer. By God's grace, we aren't going to suffer the penalty of that sin because he's paid for it on the cross. But it's going to have effects on our lives. We will suffer. There are consequences. Again, he's paid the price fully, but still, when we rebel against God's plan, it will result in bad things. But listen, we suffer as a result of the fall. Not necessarily even because of sin. I want to take you to John chapter 9. John chapter 9, Jesus comes across a man who's blind, and he's been blind since birth. 9.1 says this, as he passed by, he saw a blind man from birth. And here's what his disciples had. Now, you got to listen to this worldview. Listen to this understanding. What was about to happen is, is they're going to be told Pluto is no longer. I mean, they're going to be told something that is going to cause a death to the way they used to think. 
Okay? Their worldview is about ready to get radically changed. And here are the disciples. They see a man. He's blind from death. And so they ask Jesus a question. Rabbi, in verse 2, his disciples ask him, Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? What was their worldview? It was a tit-for-tat God. That some reason, God was really ticked at either this man's sins or his parents' sins. He was really ticked. So much so that he would be born blind. It was because of sin. Specifically, not just Adam's sin in the fall of the world. It was their specific sin. And Jesus, in an incredible way, says it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents. But it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. I think, Orangewood, this is the greatest suffering that we have here as a church. It's not because we're Christians. We do suffer because we're sinners. But we suffer because of the fall. And it breaks your heart and it breaks mine. I mean, they're sitting here tonight, this morning. Suffering. Cancer. Suffering. Loss. Suffering. Because of the results of the fall. We live in a fallen world, but there is hope in Christ. You see, suffering as a Christian, we said, blessed be the name of the, uh, of the Lord. And we sang basically Job's song. You know, not only will there be suffering for the non-Christian, there'll be suffering for those who are Christians. And here's what we've got to realize. And I've got a couple points. Here's what we've got to realize that suffering for a Christian. Look at verse 19. Suffering as a Christian He's going to mention it in 19. He's mentioned it in 317. And you ready for this? This is going to really be one of those paradigm shifting, blow our worlds away. It is God's will that we suffer. <laughs> Look at 19. Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God, that we can't take God out of the equation he is a part of it. It would be strange not to. I mean, what are the decrees of God? The decrees of God are his eternal purpose. God has done everything according to his purpose, according to the counsel of his will. I mean, he does what he wants to do. That he governs all things for his own glory, that he is in control of every single one of us. God's works of providence are his most holy wise and powerful preserving and governing all creatures all actions let me tell you god is in control and god has decreed god has willed there to be suffering in our lives well what do we do well we entrust our souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Entrust our soul to a faithful creator. And, and it's interesting here he says faithful creator. It's, it's a word that's not often used. And I really believe it's, it's fighting the, uh, the Gnostics who felt like flesh was all bad. And he's saying, listen, you're going to suffer, but, but God is the creator of all flesh. He's the creator of the world. It's not all bad. But listen, entrust your soul to the Father. What did Jesus do on the cross when he was suffering for the entire world? He entrusted his soul to the Father. Into your hands 
I entrust my spirit. And what is our response in faith, in trusting his faith? In faith, God, you're good. God, you're in control. And God, I'm hurting. But God, I believe that this is here for my good and your glory. And I don't, I may never, you may, there's people in here that may never be able to justify it in their waking days. But we entrust them and say, in faith, that's it right there. What is the work of God? What is it doing good? It's in faith and trusting our soul to the Father. And here's what we realize, that any trusting that com- any, any suffering that comes to us, it's not to destroy us. It's only to test us. Look again in verse 12. It talks about this refiner's fire. It's to purify us. Whatever happens in your life, God is going to use suffering. You ready for this? To bring out his son's image. He's going to use suffering so that we look more like Jesus. And what was the path for Jesus? It was a path of suffering, even to a cross. And it's this image of God that that he's pouring upon us and he's reflecting in us. And and through suffering, it's not going to be random. It's not going to be something we don't need. He's going to use us to make us look more like Jesus. Not just to destroy us. He never would. But to test us, therefore we rejoice. Look again in verse 13. The one who suffers as a Christian is not only God's will, but we are to rejoice. Because we are sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Why do we rejoice in suffering as a Christian? Because of two things. Because it's one, a partnership with God. Suffering is a partnership with God. It links us to his son, our savior, in a way that nothing else does. Paul will say, I want to know Christ. I want to know the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. We can never really know Jesus until we suffer with him and for him. There's a partnership with God in suffering. And not only is there a partnership of God in suffering, in verse 13 says there's a future blessing that when he appears, we will rejoice in exaltation. But there's even more. The one who suffers as a Christian is blessed. In 14, he quotes Matthew 5, 18. Blessed is that because suffering in my name. Why? Because the spirit of glory and God rests upon you. Again, what are the two things? One, it's a partnership with God. God's very spirit rests upon us. And there's also a present blessing. Blessed are us today. Blessed are you. Sometimes in Christian life, we live this with a worldview that it's going to really stink now, but someday it's going to be good. That's not a really biblical view. It's going to be really hard now, but it's going to be good. Because the Spirit of God's going to be on us. Because He's going to use it and refine us. Because we are His. It's going to be good now. Now we are blessed. Now. It's, it's not then. It's not just like, let's check out now like the Gnostics did and try to get rid of this life and get on to heaven. It's, you're blessed now because you have a partnership with Christ. And here's the last part of the suffering as a Christian. It's so beautiful. One is not ashamed. Look at verse 16. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he's not ashamed. He can glorify God in this name, this name of Christian, this name of Christian, the name that is above every name has been placed on us. They call us Christian. Peter knew about shame and not being ashamed. He knew. When he was asked, don't you know that man? I never knew him. No, really, Aren't you with that man? No, I really don't know him. 
No, you talk like one of him. It gives you a, you surely are with that man. And he says, I swear to God, I never knew him. He knew the shame. He wept. But in Acts 5, when he's beaten for the name of Christ, beaten because of that name, he comes out and he says, there's no shame. I rejoice because I was counted worthy to suffer for the name. What an incredible paradigm shift in his own life from shame to glory. Is it strange, Chris Orangewood? This is a question I have for us. This is the one that haunts me. Is it strange that we're not suffering for Christ? We're certainly suffering in a fallen world. But am I really suffering for Jesus? Should we be? And then you look in the face of God's son, Jesus, and he's the only one who makes sense out of suffering. You see, it's in Christ that we see that we have a God who... Now listen, 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 because this is going to be going right to the table. We have a God who suffered with us. Not just a God who's away and looking. He entered in and he suffered with us, being tempted in every way. He is... The man of sorrows. We have a God who not only suffered with us. You ready for this? He suffered for us. He was pierced through for our transgressions. By his wounds we are healed. It makes sense of suffering. And beautifully it makes an end to suffering. I will never probably be able to explain what happened to Pluto. But what happened to Jesus Christ? He suffered for sinners like us. So that we would know that a part of God's blessed plan is suffering in Christ. We reflect God's glory in suffering. And that's why we got to love one another well. I had a conversation this week with a man who had endured a great deal of suffering. And he was ministering to others who dealt dealing with a great deal of suffering. We're talking about that. I was just saying, that's why we got to love one another. That's why we, you know, I, I, pastoral staff and the elders can't do it enough. Love one another in Christ as Christ God loved us and suffered for us. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, you could have put an end to this crazy world as soon as we rebelled and you would have been justified to wipe us all away. But instead, you led with love and mercy. That you clothed Adam and a sacrifice was made. And yes, suffering began, but you suffered with us and alongside of us and provided hope. And in the fullness of time, Jesus came, the man of sorrows, to suffer like no one else has suffered, to set us free. And there's a fellowship with that Savior and your Son that we'll never experience apart from suffering. We thank you for the beauty of that. The beauty of that part of part of the Christian's full life is suffering. Father, we thank you for this table for it exclaims to us, proclaims to us and to this world that suffering leads to life not death. 
And our Christ, our Savior, was pierced for our transgressions. And because of that, one day we will suffer no more. We thank you for that in Christ's name. Amen. As the elders come forward, take a few moments as they prepare the table to prepare your hearts to receive this meal together.